Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. Welcome back to another edition of Covered in Glory, where the rest of the nation is engulfed in March madness, and we find ourselves in a little bit of March sadness, Brett. This week's games are not as good as they would normally be, but we are here for you anyway, and as we always say, that is why they invented gambling, to keep these things interested. I know you're probably filling out your bracket, Brett, and you, uh, little known fact, everybody doesn't know this, you don't advertise it so much, like you are a college basketball expert just as much as you are a soccer expert, so are you still paying any attention? Do I need to tap in Eddie Spaghetti, our our guest producer, to also be our guest host? Because you're too deep in your bracket to have thoughts on this week's games. No, I I am definitely not there. And I actually thought when you opened talking about how this was March sadness that you were referring to the this just dreary Champions League run we've had. Um, that is the real March sadness. That was oh pitiful. Um, but no, I I'm all I'm locked in. I can do two things at once, man. I know sometimes on the show people wonder if my brain like works like correctly. I can actually do two things at once. I can focus on March Madness. And I, I watched a couple of the games last night, but I'm also ready to go here to talk about our sport that we love from the well of sadness. Although you've <laughs> changed locations in the well of sadness, I am still in the same spot. Yeah, well, I can do two things at once, and that's to think about the uh, the present and think about the future. And I got really excited. And from our pre-recording conversation, it sounds like you're not ready to quite join me. They announced this week that we're going to have even more soccer, Brett, on two fronts. One, we're going to have a Club World Cup that my beloved Chelsea will be playing in, the inaugural edition as uh, as winning as winning the Big Year Trophy a couple of years ago. I'm not as excited about that one because having that tournament in June when people should be resting and recruiting is going to lead to a lot of legs falling off like the old steroid Olympics uh, skits on Saturday Night Live. But the one I actually am pretty pumped about is the World Cup. We thought that we were going to see the greatest sporting event in the world, all respect to March Madness, get uh, completely stripped down by these abomination of 16 groups of three when they expand the field to 48. But they have recalibrated. And they've come back and they say they're going to do four groups. I'm sorry, 12 groups of four continuing that dual trajectory on the last day that we absolutely lost our minds about a few months ago. The downside is it's going to be now a hundred and four games. And so I say, if we're going to do this once every four years, give me more soccer, give me all the other games, give me more flags and, and things to celebrate make it longer. It's, it, that's nothing but upside in my brain since it's once every four years, but you seem to be on the other side of this coin. Tell me why. I, I mean, there just aren't that many good. I mean, we, we talked about this too, and this world cup is obviously a little weird, but there just aren't enough quality countries uh, to produce good soccer matches. So, I mean, if you're like, you're a huge fan of like when Honduras plays Jamaica, I guess like, yay, more teams in the world cup. Cause you're going to have a lot of games that are going to be like that. But we talked about how even Poland and Mexico and, and Poland was maybe one of the weaker teams in the world cup. Mexico is like a traditional power that's fallen off a little bit, but even that match was a complete snooze fest. It was not high quality. It does not, it is not the type of match that draws people in. 
I mean, that World Cup in a lot of ways, too, is saved by like an amazing finale with the storybook ending. Um, but there are a lot of pretty dreadful matches. And, and oh, part this of it is horrible, horrible revisionist history, Brett. Do I have to go back and play you our own show about how excited we were? Now okay. you can tell me it wasn't the, that good. The of a World one Cup? group ending was great. I agree. But that was the one group. And then we, we even talked about it on the show right there. Did we not? Why would you ever want to change this? And yeah, so, but hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yes, they should have kept it at 32 teams. Co-sign on that right away. But once the decision was already expanded to 48, why would you not want to keep the four-team groups versus the three-team groups? The three-team groups was going to be the true abomination. I'm all for trying to keep the four-team groups once we've already decided the field was going to be expanded. Yeah, I mean, I get like it's it's coming. I mean, I'm still in my stages of grief here, right? So like, I just think that the extra 16 teams is just overkill. One, no no one can watch any of these matches, the weird randomness and the mounting injuries on certain teams and be like, yes, what we really need is more soccer for these guys. But I, I guess like I understand it's World Cup, it's event, especially for fans who are not like you and I who follow everything. You know, that's the one time they tune in. So more matches, more countries, more participation. I do get the flip side of that argument. I, though, apparently am just the purist. And I'm like, give me the good teams. Give me the good matches. I don't need to see dead rubber group stages between like Andorra and Jamaica. So I don't know why I keep bringing Jamaica into this. but Yeah, but you're trying to relitigate something that's already been decided. I'm just celebrating the fact that they didn't completely ruining it by moving to the three team group. So you're going too far back in the time machine to have this discussion. <laughs> I'm only talking about how they made the best version of chicken salad out of the chicken S that they already created. And you're welcome, Eddie, for not making you believe that. <laughs> I know. I, and you are, you, you know, you're, you're a realist. You're living in our current reality. I'm stuck in the past of, of realizing that they had a great product and they move past that. Yes. Four team groups are better, but like, it's still 48 teams. It's still way too much soccer. I don't need to see that many games. I definitely will not be watching every game in a World Cup, which sounds bad. When even this year, I tried to get my eyes on almost everything. There is no way I'll be able to watch some of those games that World Cup. No, I don't I, care how you structure the groups. It, it will just be too tough for me. Sure. So three years from now, when I'm living under a bridge somewhere and you're managing Chelsea, the one thing I will have on you <laughs> is that soundbite. Where you just said, I will not be watching games in the World Cup. Where I will be out here. I said, I will not be watching every game in the World Cup. I will be watching games in the World Cup. Oh, I I pay our editors, so they're going to make it sound like how I want it to sound. Oh, we're getting into the deep fake, sorry. Definitely going to be deep faked on you. Be ready, pal. (laughs) You're going to be waving our RAN flags and rooting against America (laughs) and and calling this the ugly game and all sorts of things before I'm done with you. I see enough dumb things. You don't even need deep fakes. You're you're making these guys do extra work. They just have to listen to me talk normally and just have audio bites they can use forever. The the one thing I I am kind of con on I mean, I'm, yes, I wish they had kept it the same. Let's move past that, though. That, that's beyond okay. us at this point. Okay. Um, I do wish that they had kept this, cut the elimination round down to 16 teams, letting in the eight, you know, third place teams and getting up to 32. I think will lead to a lot more random results, right? Yeah. Because we talk about it all the time, particularly in the yeah. World Cup. Anybody can lose any game. And if you give teams an extra game, we're going to see a dilution of quality when you get down to the yeah. quarters, et cetera, because there'll be some more fluky teams that make it through after, you know, two coin flips the first two times around 
Well, and it's also just an extra 90 minutes for, I mean, we talked about this as the U.S.'s main problem too with like the World Cup. It's like they just didn't have enough good players and their good players ran out of gas. Now throwing an extra game that they got to play and then an extra knockout round match that they got to play before they get to the team that they really need to beat. It's just, it's asking a lot. I think, uh, and again, this is obviously my little crusade is I just think suck. there's way too much soccer, especially with the, the uh, consolidated seasons ever since Project Restart. All the way up to now, the windows have been shorter. The rest times have been shorter. We have all these events jammed in. The crazy schedule fixtures. I mean, we've talked about your beloved Chelsea. I think the one time they played, what, like nine matches in 21 days or something ridiculous earlier this year. So, like, I just, I look at it that way. And, yes, it's it's pretty far down the road. We're talking about three years from now. I get it. but. It's still a lot of soccer. I still think it dilutes the quality. I think these guys need less soccer, not more. But for the fact that, like you said, if we're making chicken salad out of what they gave us, yes, it's good that they went to the groups. No, I don't like the extra team in the knockout round, the extra third place teams in the knockout round. You know, eventually we're just going to be handing out participation trophies to everybody at the World Cup, right, Toby? All right. Well, you can tell how excited I am about this week's game since I want to talk a lot about something that's going to happen three and a half three years from now. <laughs> well, we should probably get to this week's game. So uh, we're going to start at Southampton, 20th at 22 points versus Tottenham, 4th at 48 points. This game is Saturday at 11 a.m. The Spurs are minus 123. Southampton is plus 330. Draw is plus 260. Our friends at Caesars have Spurs minus uh, half a goal and minus 125 and Southampton minus 105. So, Brett, we talked about him a lot last week, and I think we kind of have to lead Spurs with him again this week, which is Richarlison. He provided an undeniable spark. He draws a stone-cold penalty, which leads to the opener. He provides an assist to Son, and he should have had his own goal if Nevis hadn't made a wonder save against him late uh, late in the match. So, notorious World Cup hater, Brett. You have to follow <laughs> this man for uh, years at Everton. Is this spark going to start a like, nice warming fire that takes them into the Champions League, or is it going to burn sport, Spurs' entire house down? Uh, I just, I kind of like the fact, I always like it, you know, when a player comes out, and we talked about this last week, and he he kind of questions what his manager is doing, which I, we both agreed, despite the danger he put himself in, that it was a rightful, like he was asking rightful questions of his manager. But he came out and he backed up with his play. Like, I, I, I respect that a lot. I think it's great. Um, and But, yeah, I mean, with him, I, I think he's – I don't know if he's ever going to be like a guy that's going to move the needle like that. I think he's just a really solid player. And, I mean, that's – it's they spent a lot of money on that, and he had a great match. But, like, to expect him to basically power the Spurs to keep them safe in the Champions League, I don't think so. Um, I think we might get a little bounce back from just, like, it's finishing and maybe some goals are going to start pouring in a little bit more. Um, but it's going to come down to Kane. It's going to come down to how washed his son. <laughs> um, but, I, but I do think that him emerging as a really quality fourth option, because uh, we all know how much you love your boy Kulishevsky over there. I don't even want to, I don't even want to put him ahead of him and risk and alienating you. Um, but I, I think for them, they're, they're going to need that. They're going to need that rotation. They're going to need him to step up and put the ball in the back of the net or be part of goal creation. So I do think he's there. I, I love the fact that after he comes out in the media and questions his manager, he backs it up on the pitch. I think that's great. And I, I think it's going to continue to a degree, but like, is he going to, are they going to be a rocket ship because of him? I don't think so. 
Yeah, I mean, it's still going to remain interesting. He did score from an offside position early in the game, and the camera cut to Conte, and it looks like the Spurs have conceded a goal instead of scored one. Like one of the most emotive <laughs> managers in world in all Just of world football. His, hand in his, his hands in his pocket, head down, kind of yeah. wandered off to the side like he was looking for some ducks to feed rather than trying to celebrate <laughs> what just happened. It was a very odd dynamic, and I don't know how it's going to be sustainable. Uh, and I do want to see a little bit more of him playing down the left and Kane through the middle and then Kulisevsky on the right before I, I formally kind of gauge how much of an impact he's going to have on the year. In terms of this individual game, I have you know said week after week after week that I want to fade the Spurs. Uh, but I got to say, Southampton, three games in seven days. Like the, the offense looked absolutely gassed today. I don't think that they are the type of team that Absolutely has not. any sort of depth or squad quality for anything that even remotely resembles fixture congestion. Like the big squads are used to playing three games in seven days, but for them, it looks more like a uh, like a chore or a penalty or however you want to describe it. So if I only have to lay a little bit of juice to get Spurs to win outright, against mm-hmm. a team that doesn't have the depth and didn't even look like they had the ability to play the second game today, then it looks like good value to me. So I'm taking the Spurs. Oh my God. I choked on the words coming out of my mouth. <laughs> um, I'm taking the Spurs at minus 123 on the money line. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Southampton missed a golden opportunity uh, and shouts to our boy, Sergio, uh, who, who DM me and told me he took the money line bet I gave out. Uh, I couldn't believe they missed a huge opportunity with, with Casemiro down a red card. Like they, yeah. Southampton needed that match very badly. Um, that's a huge advantage to have almost 60 minutes, the man up. So Sergio, I apologize. I led you astray. Uh, they had the opportunity there to, to cash that ticket, but I'm with you at this point. Like this is not a team. They don't have, they barely can field 11 good players. <laughs> they definitely can't field 11 good players, especially since Ruben Sellis is like completely infatuated with starting the corpse of Theo Walcott every uh, match. So I'm with you. It's, it's a, it's a weirdly low. I mean, obviously it's not like a great, like anytime you're not getting plus money, it never looks super appealing, but like, yeah, it's not a lot of juice to take them out right to win. I I, I was a little confused at this line. It's definitely going to show up later in my five pint, but, um, and if they're going to win, they got to score goals. So my shift was, we talk a lot about sun being washed and I want to put this in context. Oh, no. Basically, basically now what we are seeing from Sun is he is not a winger anymore. He does no winger things, no more. He doesn't <laughs> progress the ball off the pitch. He doesn't track back and defend. He doesn't really create. He is a poacher, pure and simple. And Toby, if you want to head to the store after this, I understand you need to stock up canned goods, bottled water. This is the first year in a long time. He is not finishing over his expected goal total. Yeah. He's underperforming his expected goal total. Yeah. 6.1, six goals. So slightly, a slight underperformance. It's very rare. So I do think that he is going to bounce back. I don't think he is done as a productive player. I think he's done as the son that we used to know him as the exciting attacking winger. But I do think at plus 210, his his shot totals really haven't fallen off. He, he played out of his mind last year. But they're pretty, his non penalty expected goal numbers and uh, shot totals are all pretty much in line with like what he was doing before his big season last year. And he just isn't finishing as well. But we have a whole track record of Sun being able to do this. He's plus 210. Spurs are going to, are going to score. Southampton's defense seems very patchy at times. So, 
and we all know about their goalie. <laughs> so yeah. plus two ten for Sud. I'll take it. Well, uh, I would just like to point out to you that you just gave a absolutely pitch perfect description of a previous dynamic winger in the Premier League named Ronaldo. And that guy is now getting yanked out of games in Saudi Arabia. Uh, yeah. so, okay. and, and he started from the baseline of one of the greatest players who ever lived. So once a winger stops becoming a winger and becoming a pure poacher, his days are numbered. And I agree. I, I agree. Out of the Premier League yeah. before we know it. If your description is accurate. So I understand trying to strike while he's still in there, but like uh, you can't be a pure poacher at a top four team and expect to have a much longer career for a team that has any aspirations that we debated whether Spurs should be having these aspirations last week. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, this is not a like a commentary on where Spurs need to go from this point. It's just, this is where he's at right now. I mean, if we want to get into tactic tactics, Twitter, Conte needs to go 4-4-2, put Kane and Son up top, Richarlison, Kulishevsky on the outside, get rid of a third center back. Nobody wants to see Ben Davies play anyways. So I, yeah. I think there's a way to make it work, but I also think that, like, I don't know if Conte's the manager to do it, and I definitely think moving forward, when Spurs are talking about reloading and refreshing next season, whether in the Champions League or Europa or Europa Conference League or wherever they are, um, I do think they're going to have to really take a hard look at where they're at with Son. Yeah. Uh, All right. So my prop is my only way I can continue to square the taking the Spurs and fading the Spurs at the exact same time. (laughs) I really like this number. Uh, Tottenham to win and under 2.5 goals. So you get them 1-0 or 2-0. Southampton's not going to score. Spurs aren't that explosive. They're not going to score three again. Just last week we were talking about where are the goals going to come from as we took unders. So Tottenham to win and under 2.5 goals, a tasty plus 305. So I like this much more than taking just a pure clean sheet win because clean sheet win, I believe, was minus, uh, was plus 190. And you're getting a lot of extra juice for getting the same score lines except for 3-0 or higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, clearly you're just not scared of the dynamic duo of Che Adams and Theo Walcott. So, I mean, look, you to- live, live life without fear. I'm impressed, Toby. You told me when we did uh, the pick your team last year, when we did that in like January of last year, which Premier League team people should root for, that you don't want to be a Southampton fan because the only thing you ever get to cheer for is uh, free kicks. And so (laughs) that remains true all this time later. And that seems like the only way that they're likely to score. Yeah, it's James Ward-Prowse. It's James Ward-Prowse, you know, going after the Premier League free kick record. And... I'm sorry. I mean, like plus three Oh five for Spurs. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, I mean, there, there's oh. just no attacking talent there. It really, it's going to come down to that. It's going to be a fluke goal, an own goal or something. If they score, like it's, they're not, they're just not piling on the chances and you're not going to, when, when he's running out a 30, what is Walcott like 34 year old Theo Walcott at this point. So yeah, yeah it's, it's getting ugly in Southampton. They, they might want to start looking at uh, their championship competition next year. Okay, well, they could do that during this break, and then we will be right back with the other two Premier League games, and then we'll do a little FA Cup. 
The thing about Caesar Sportsbook, it's not just an app. It's your key to a whole empire. Hotels, casinos, restaurants, shows, Caesar's Palace. I'm sure you've heard of it. Every bet you place with Caesar Sportsbook brings you closer to perks only Caesars can offer. Hotel stays at iconic destinations, app bonuses, merch, show tickets, and many more Caesars rewards perks. So get started today. Register using code OmahaFull and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, Congrats. If you don't, you'll get your stake back as a bet credit. If you have a gambling problem in Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed to Horseshoe, Bossier, City, and Harris, New Orleans. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, which is 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Okay, we are back, and we are about to play America's second favorite game show. To do that, I've got to introduce the teams, which are Chelsea, 10th at 37 points, versus Everton, 15th at 25 points. This game is Saturday at 11 a.m. If you are actually an Everton fan, this would be a covered in glory derby. Chelsea is minus 230. Everton is plus 700. The draw is plus 320. Chelsea minus a goal and a half is plus 130. Everton is minus 170. So I already teased it a little bit. We played this game with Liverpool so many times, but they are off this week. So we got to go to the second place team. Brett, let's do it. Or Chelsea back. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with sort of. <laughs> um, I don't know. Survey's not gonna say sort of from a lot of people. Uh, yeah, I mean Steve Harvey isn't here though, so I'm all right. Um, yeah, I. <laughs> 
I don't know. I mean, because here's the thing. I'm going to tell you, this is, I mean, this is like version number 850 of Twitter isn't real life. So I watched the highlights. I didn't watch the match, but I watched the highlights of Chelsea Lester looking at the, looking at the numbers, go on Twitter. And I didn't look at any of the expected goal totals, nothing like that. Didn't see anything there. And man, Twitter told me that Graham Potter saved his job. Chelsea have turned a corner. It's all it's all downhill from here. Here comes the Champions League. And then I saw the expected goal total from that match, and I like almost double taken. And I was like, wait, did they flip the total of chances creation created? Yeah. So I think they're better. I think they're on to something here with the back three. You've talked about this before. I think they're getting closer, but man that's a really still kind of concerning performance. It's great that they're getting results and it's great that they still have some good underlying performances mixed in there. But like, I don't think they're back. It's, it's very, it's very concerning to me. that They're playing a pretty defensive structure and they're still giving up chances. And maybe I'm warped from like the Tuchel era when they just went to that back three and like, nobody shot the ball and we didn't really, we actually thought Mendy was like a good goal, really great goalkeeper for a while. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think they're getting closer. I just don't think they're there. So if you only watched the highlights and didn't watch the game, a lot of the chance creation is because Keppa went full Keppa. Like, <laughs> they, they give up the one goal on a shot outside the box, which is exactly what he's known for. And then the other thing is just like, he cannot seem after all these years to learn how to freaking punch the ball with authority. And so a lot of it came off of these like floated crosses that he f- came off his line and failed to clear. It gets cycled back in and, you know, a, a couple of potential tap-ins, which look great on XG get fluffed. It wasn't like, they were constantly giving up, you know, chance after chance after chance. It was, they gave up a couple of high quality chances because he couldn't command his box properly, at least from what I I observed watching the game. Yeah. But but by the way, he also make a, made a couple of dynamite reaction saves and it just goes to show like if Kepa doesn't have to think, he is absolutely world-class. The moment a ball is up in the air and he's got to make a decision or the moment it's shot from distance and he has a little bit of time and not just pure reaction, then, you know, it's it's not as great. He's basically like modern De Gea at, at Man United. Yeah, I, I you know, <laughs> goalkeeping is, I mean, it's, it just kind of goes to show you too, like this is how little we understand about like soccer, right? You know, in, in terms of looking at the sport, Kepa's got great under like save numbers. Like his post shot XG numbers are awesome. Like he's one of the best shot stoppers in the Premier League this year. All of a sudden, um, but you're right. There's a whole lot of other aspects to goalkeeping. It also shows the limitations of, like single game XG because, like we said, a lot of it is just guy doesn't command his own box. It creates chances that look a little bit like uh, harder to come by, like consistently just kind of one-off fluky things that happen from just like poor decisions, poor performance, whatever. Um, So yeah, I totally get that. I I still don't even understand like where to begin to suss out. Like if Kepa is helping or hurting Chelsea at this point, (laughs) I feel like that would be like a a 10 part podcast series. That would be like a true crime thing for you and I, that we can do (laughs) in the summer. Um, (laughs) So like, I I don't know. I mean, uh, I went back and forth on this game a ton. And part of it is because I still don't know what to think about Chelsea. Um, a part of it is Everton sucks something fierce. <laughs> um, well, I, well, look, well, I, I want to cover Everton in just a second, but yeah. um, 
I'm getting ideas. I'm getting ideas about Chelsea. I'm not getting ideas about this year outside Ooh, of a miraculous, okay. cha- a miraculous Champions League run is all we have left to play for. We're clearly not climbing all the way back to top four. We would have to run the slate, which uh, isn't going to happen. Um, but I think they can win the league next year. I'm going to say it right now. I'm going to say it on March 15th, 2023. I think Chelsea can win the Premier League next year with oh this group of players. Goodness. Plus a Oh yep. my goodness. We don't even I'm have to deep fake this. No, you do not. Because they're not going to play in the Champions League. They're probably not even going to make Europe. And they're going to be able to concentrate on just these games. And without the fixture congestion, they have as much talent as anybody else. I don't know if Grand Potter will be the manager to lead them there, but I think he's going to be the one given the opportunity to. But Enzo, I mean... Enzo is unbelievable. Enzo so is really the good. player that we have been absolutely missing more than any other player since Seth Fabregas left the team. Like, yes, the, the two people that we have missed more than anybody else in the recent incarnations of Chelsea are Sesk and Diego Costa. Those are the guys that we just needed and have never been able to like regen and create a reasonable facsimile of. And Enzo's starting to show signs of having Sesk's vision and, and passing ability with more defensive steel. Like he, Mm -hmm. he could end up being, you know, like the KDB, uh, heir apparent, but also be able to, you know, win a lot more tackles in the final third. Like, I, I, I don't know what his ceiling is, but I'm so excited that he's a Chelsea player. Fofana has started to uh, look all the way back as providing an aerial presence in the box on set pieces. Another place Chelsea has fallen way down in the first mm-hmm. six months of the season and having him like climbing above people and being able to flick the ball on frame is making a huge difference. RLC, a uh, ribbon lost his cheek. Like he's not Reese James, but when he isn't like pressed too hard defensively on the right, when he's playing out at, um, at wing back in the three, four, three, he's so progressive offensively and so positive. And that pass that he made to Jow was outstanding, even though Jow was again, slightly offside before the finish and you've got Kova out here scoring bangers. And so um, their chance creation we've talked about on the show, like becomes a portfolio bet. I don't think that's been that big of an issue and looks to be gelling a little bit more without the fixture congestion. They're able to roll out the best team and they're able to slim down this squad. I think there's probably gonna be like seven or eight guys who leave in the off season. I, I think they're, I think, let me put it this way. I think they are just as talented as Arsenal. I think they are just as talented as City, except for they don't have Holland. And those other two are going to be competing for more trophies. So I think they are the absolute, if I could take a next year future bet right now, no matter what the odds are, I think they're the best bet. Yeah, I mean, there is there is genuinely an argument. I, I won't go all the way there, but there's definitely genuinely an argument with the sheer amount of soccer that's being played, because we're going to have another short off season again. Like this is this, this season is going to go all the way till the 28th. And then we're going to start again in early August. It's not a full off season still. Um, So like there is an argument to be made that like, if you're just a champions quality, champions league quality team in the premier league, but you're not playing in the champions league and you're not playing in Europa, or at least like taking Europa seriously, you may just be able by default to raise yourself another tier into championship caliber status just by virtue of, like you said, there's not going to be the extra matches. They're not going to be the scheduled congestion. I mean, if they really wanted to go all in, just throw out the Carabao Cup and the Carabao Cup and play your under 21 team, no yeah, well, matter how far you go. So, I mean, like, they, have so much, they have so many youth prospects. I think that's what they'll do. Like they're going to want to mm-hmm. give those guys time. I mean, they've just signed like, 
half of uh, South America's half hottest youth prospects, and they're going to want to give them game time if they're yeah. not loaned out. So I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Right. And, and I think what we're seeing basically this year is Arsenal had no um, like continental competition last year. They're in Europa this year. They sort of didn't really take it that seriously during group. They started taking more seriously as they went deeper, but that's the, like part of the reason they're in the hunt for the title is simply because of the fact that they just didn't have the extra game matches. Yeah. And we, we talked about the difference on one of the shows. They've played like something like 20 less masses than like city and Liverpool, Chelsea, et cetera, during the same time period. And that stuff matters. And so I, I definitely agree. I think it's an interesting thing. I don't think like necessarily they're there talent wise. Uh, we, I think jury is definitely still out on Potter, but like just that virtue alone, if they're a, like a third or fourth place team without those games, absolutely. I think there's a possibility of that title run. So what is up with Sean Dice's Everton? Bro? <laughs> uh, was that just like a pure it new manager sucked. bounce when they took down <laughs> Arsenal? Cause they've been giving up nearly two goals a game since that opening match. And it feels very undice Like what are we watching here? Yeah, I mean, this is the one thing that we, you know, we talk a lot about numbers. I, I've converted you to the darkness of extra. You don't have spreadsheets over your walls. But like never the darkness of Twitter tactics. I, no, I'm never. No, I, I mean, there I'm I'm I don't know. I don't watch Harry Potter, but I'm assuming he's the good guy. And like Voldemort's the bad guy. Like tactics Twitter is Voldemort and we're Harry Potter here. So um, I don't know why I went to that reference. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really into cultural zeitgeist. Um, so, so yeah, with Sean Dyches Everton, I think one of the things that we we always forget is like this game is played by people, and sometimes like tactics don't matter, and XG doesn't matter, and chances created and form or whatever. Sometimes teams just play bad, and sometimes teams just play great, and like that's just a thing that happens, and that is so much in the rearview mirror. Basically what happened in the Everton Arsenal match that we were like, whoa, what's going on here is that Everton played awesome. Arsenal played terrible and we got that result. And then we were, we've been trying to kind of square that from both teams, I think ever since. Right. Um, And so with Everton, I just don't think they're very good. The talent level isn't very high. I mean, I joked about the corpse of Theo Walcott like Seamus Coleman is still getting trotted out at right back for Everton. They've been trying to replace him for the last two years. Um, I mean, Dice is just going full Burnley with, you know, a left footed left winger and a right footed right winger and get the ball into the box. So I guess Neil Malpe can head into the goal. Um, so there's just not a lot going for Everton at this point. The performances haven't been there. I thought Dice would, I think he's gotten them a little more organized. They're definitely better than they were under Lampard, but like, there's a lot of defensive leakage still. Um, and I'm guessing it's probably because there's a wash to Drish the gay at the base of the midfield. Um, but it's, it's so hard because it's very much like when they're playing Chelsea, it's the stoppable force and the movable object playing each other right now. We don't really know what Chelsea is. Everton's been up and down, but they're a little bit better, I think. Um, and then, and like Chelsea covering a goal and a half, dude, like, I don't, I took Everton 
And I feel oh, weird. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only proper way to take Everton is with your hands in your head. Yeah, I know. And an apology God. in your voice. <laughs> uh, I, I, just feel, I, I really do feel like it's an apology. But yeah, I continue. I want your reasoning. I, I, I give up. I just took Everton. I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm taking Chelsea because we talked about, um, you know, kind of positive regression on chance creation. I think we're, we're yeah. suddenly seeing it. So uh, they scored six goals from November 6th until whatever that was, like March 4th, whenever I was screaming about it on the show. And then they scored against Leeds. They scored against Dortmund. They put up three last week. Um, and I think that we're just going to see, you know, on an average basis, a continuation of this run because it needs to get back down to where it should have been when they had chance creation after chance creation and clean sheet after clean sheet uh, against them. So I'm willing to bet on that trend continuing. It's particularly against an Everton team that seems to be leaking goals all over the place. And um, all of my props are going to be, you know, Chelsea attacking related. So Chelsea is plus 101 to win the first half. Uh, they have been coming out early and getting goals and Everton has been giving them up like candy in the first half, eight out of the last 10 games where Everton dropped points. So didn't win outright, either tied or lost. They gave up a goal in the first half It happened eight out of the 10 times. That's like pre and post dice. And he hasn't changed that whatsoever. Uh, Chelsea's plus two sixty five to win both halves. Cause it ain't like Everton's much better in the second half either. And um, my favorite one of these Havertz Havertz, not anytime. Havertz to score twice, baby. Ooh, it is plus we are really doing coming full circle on Kai Havertz. Plus 850. And there's two reasons I'm bullish on this. One, the service is really starting to excel since they moved to the 3-4-3, particularly for the center back positions because they're getting so much dynamic attacking from uh, Chilwell and then you know James when he's in there and RLC when he's not. And Havertz is getting a ton of great chances. And secondly, ever since Jorginho moved to Arsenal, we now know who takes penalties for him, and it's Havertz. So getting that penalty equity along with the uptick in service, he's going to get to one of these games. I'm not sure it's one of every nine, but I'm willing to bet it's going to strike light, uh, going to strike lightning in this game, particularly against, as you said, a washed uh, base of the midfield at Everton. And it's not like their back line stalwarts either. Yeah, I mean, I I went kind of in a similar vein. Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin should be back, and I think I've seen Dice has been pretty pretty cautious with slowly coming back. He could have come back, I think, their last couple of matches, but Dice has been holding him out. Um, if he's back, the way I went with both teams to score, yes, uh, was plus one twenty five. Like I said, I don't think Chelsea's all the way there, and Calvert-Lewin is a double boost for for Everton in. in in the sense that not only is he basically the only actual good attacker that they have in terms of generating shots, but he is the perfect fit for what they're trying to do now under dice ball, which is throw the ball in the air, let Calvert Lewin leap over everybody and head it in towards the goal. Like we're playing in 2004. Um, I, I feel like I have to caution our audience because I love them. Um, I looked at this, I had this stat ready for you. How many Chelsea players have better odds to score than anybody on Everton? And I will get to you, Calvert-Lewin is the number one most likely guy to score on Everton. How many players on Chelsea have better odds than him? Six. It's 10, Brett. It's 10. They're basically just missing Kepa. And I didn't look Kepa up, but Kepa might be over him as well. So to take both teams to score... Chelsea has 10 guys they consider more likely to score than okay. anybody on Everton. In fairness to that, 
Everton have been like conceding tons of shots. So everybody on Chelsea is definitely going to be inflated just because they're terrible at defending. Doesn't necessarily mean that Everton's going to be like completely blank and destined to not create any shots. Um, I, I just think he makes a huge difference, which means you're going to get value because as we've talked about with player props all the time, this is, we've had this conversation ad nauseum. Soccer still doesn't know how one player affects the other 10 going. So if you feel like you can create an edge with the influence of a midfielder, with an attacker who seems like a one trick pony, then find your edge, exploit your edge. That's where I think my edge is. I think Chelsea is teetering on probably giving up about a goal's worth of chances. And then if Calvert Lewin Lewin plays, it pushes them all the way over. Everton probably should nick one. Also, the fact that Chelsea could run away with this match early, be up 2-0, be up 3-0, that consolation goal is then just screaming out for Everton to have. Um, And you're getting plus money for it. So, and I definitely have no hope whatsoever that Everton will not allow a goal here. (laughs) Ziyech has better odds than Calvert-Lewin, and Ziyech's brain is still in Paris. Is his body still in Paris? We know that. No, we've seen his body. We just know <laughs> yeah. where his mind is. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next game, which is going to be Arsenal first at 66 points versus Crystal Palace, 12th at 27 points. Sunday at 10 a.m. Arsenal is minus 380, Palace is plus 1100, the draw is plus 440. Arsenal minus a goal and a half is minus 120, Palace is minus 110. Uh, so, Brett, for Arsenal, Trissard seems to be clicking really nicely for them. He didn't get anywhere near as much pub as all the other January signings, but he's been putting in positive shift after positive shift for Arsenal right now. Have you been impressed with him so far, or is he just taking advantage being next to Saka and uh, Martinelli who continue to look like world beaters? There are, well, first off, to answer the second question first, I think his skill set fits really well with those two attackers. Uh, Because Martinelli is not a traditional winger in the sense that like he's more going to be on the shot creation side. He's more the, I'm going to get in the box and be on the end of the move side. And so when Trossard plays like in the middle as more like a false nine, it suits that dynamic. Well, and Saka, as we've seen has obviously developed really well with, in terms of getting into good positions, taking good shots, you know, being a guy that finishes plays and so Trissard is like a false nine between those two is like an absolutely perfect marriage between what he does well and then what those guys do well. So everybody raises up a level in terms of fit, right? It's like basically in the basketball sense, since we love this, it's like taking peak Russell Westbrook and moving him off a Sonics team that had Kendrick Perkins at center with like Brooke Lopez at center you know, where he stretches the floor and then everybody else can coalesce together because it just makes the team fit better. Um, And so I think this is what we're seeing with Trossard. (laughs) And there are so many strings to pull from that signing in the sets that like Brighton's been better since he's been gone. And yet he's been really good with Arsenal. And I don't like, I can't square those things all the time. Um, There's a, there's definitely a whole podcast on Brighton that can be had too. But yeah, no, I think he's been really good. Um, the thing with Arsenal that I worry about is like, why are they going? I need you to answer this question. I'm going to ask you directly. I want you to pretend that you're an Arsenal fan and not a Chelsea fan. I know that makes you sick. How upset would you be if you're a Gunner fan and you're watching? Yes, Arteta. already, already. It doesn't matter. Yeah, what you I know. Ask. You're upset because oh, you're I'm a Gunner fan. I, I get extremely. it. Extremely. 
Come I on. consider my life choices. I look <laughs> back at every moment I'd ever had since birth and wonder what led me down this path that made me a Gunner fan. And I'd reconsider every possible avenue I took. But go on. <laughs> well, my question is, now that you're completely debasing all our wonderful Arsenal fans to listen, is how upset would you be? We talked about this last week because we actually, I think we were recording right when we were seeing um, the starting 11s that they're kind of going for Europa. Yeah. I don't, I mean, this is still something because we have to factor this in because they're going to play tomorrow. We're recording this on Wednesday night. So they're going to play tomorrow. Six of their regular uh, uh, ten out, starting 10 outfield players were in the starting 11 against Sporting. I'm assuming it's going to be the same for this run-in because that match is, uh, was a 2-2 draw. So they have to score to win. And they're playing for the, the Premier League title. Like, I, I'm yeah. really that, like, this is like blowing my mind right now. Yeah, I can't quite tell if it's, you know, ignorance or hubris. Like, is it hubris to say, oh, we have the depth and skill and talent to win both of them and we don't have to prioritize one versus the other? Or is it ignorance to not understand that the main reason to win Europa is to qualify for Champions League? And since they're at 66 points already, that's kind of <laughs> in the bag. And they'd right. be better off winning an incredibly historic Premier League title and taking down the juggernaut that has City. And so... I th- tend to think with Arteta, it probably skews towards hubris. But as uh, an Arsenal fan, I would definitely like give away Europa tomorrow if it increased my chances to win the Premier League by even like fifteen percent. Yeah, and and I mean, and again, we saw it too, like with with United, kind of with little hangover. I mean, obviously, Casemiro's red card, like they drop points to Southampton, and they're they can't really afford to drop too many or they're going to be in the the middle of a uh, champions league race. So I, I don't know if I was an Arsenal fan or a supporter, I would be so annoyed by this, but I, I get that the cultures are different and the FA or the like winning trophies is like a big thing, whether it's the FA cup or Europa or whatever. But I do think at some point it didn't really hurt them against Fulham, but I think it's going to hurt them against palace. And so the, I, he got him taking all these crap teams to cover. <laughs> I took Palace at plus one and a half, dude. I, yeah. oh, I did yeah. it. But but here I'm gonna I'm gonna I have to palette cleanse before I turn it back over to you. The the bet I actually really did like is Arsenal is plus seven hundred to come from behind and win. Mm. And so I could see a pretty bad attacking Palace team nicking a girl a goal early against the tired Arsenal team coming off the Europa match. And then because it's at home, it's going to be at the Emirates, Arsenal storms back and win. So I actually do like that bet. I begrudgingly take Palace just because I'm going to continue to bet against these teams that actually give a crap about Europa. Yeah. Um, I did it too. I also took Palace. So this time I'm not going to leave you hanging. Uh, I do like that Jesus came off the bench last week. Uh, but he did look a little bit rusty. His timing didn't look quite right. It's, he had one chance to finish in front of the net. And it's just one of those things where he was off the pace by 5 to 10% or so. And as he regains that uh, game speed, I think that suddenly they have a chance to be a juggernaut again. It helps that they have Trissard deputizing. It helps that they have the five-point lead. It also helps that Jedi Robinson looked like a stormtrooper interacting with Obi-Wan Kenobi rather than somebody <laughs> who actually had force powers last week. You're not the only one who could do timely re- references, bro. Yeah. Um, but take all that. Palace, I said last week, I, I said last week when they took on City that I think I would take them plus a goal and a half right now against any team in the league. And here I am being put to the sword a week later, and I'm going to stick with it. 
They did it last week against City, right? They stayed within one. Um, they gave it up only on a penalty is the only way that City actually was able to breach the net. And then City comes back, you know, four days later and absolutely destroys a superior Leipzig's team in the Champions League with, you know, uh, Holland scoring five times when he couldn't really get off the sign except from the spot against Palace. They also have draws against Liverpool, Brentford, Brighton, United, and Newcastle in the last two months. They they kept within a 2-1 loss to United. They kept within a 1-0 loss to Chelsea. And they stayed with a ascendant Brighton team 1-0 just today. So if nobody's going to blow them out, not even City, I'm I'm taking them. I'm sorry. That's not even a shot at Arsenal. Um, so I, I'm with you on that bet. And the, the come from behind a win I like, because I don't know if I'd actually back it with my money, even though I'm willing to back it with my mouth on the on the mic here. <laughs> the, the one I like better, because I think it covers the biggest range of outcomes and you don't have to pay that much of a penalty for, is Arsenal win and under three and a half, not two and a half, three and a half is only minus 140. So you get yeah, 1-0, you get 2-1, and then if Arsenal turns the screws on them, you even get 2-0, 3-0. So you have to get all the way up to like 3-1 or 4-0 uh, um, before you lose on the Arsenal side. And then otherwise, you know, a draw takes you down. But uh, I still think Arsenal, with, you know, the quality they have and the chance to win, the whole thing are going to win by at least one goal. And then you add in the Europa factor that you just threw in, and if they're still going for it on Thursday, then they would be more than happy to squeak out of there with a 1-0 win, and you cash that bet pretty easily. Yeah, I mean... Uh... I just God. So okay. So for, for for reference sake, I mean we we have we have kind of badmouthed Bournemouth. I mean it's that alliteration. It's fun. Um, quite a bit for their just very meager and impotent attack. Uh, so overall this year, the same number of matches played. Uh, expected goals created for Palace twenty two point nine. Expected goals created for Bournemouth. 22.1 and Bournemouth are dead last in the Premier League. So like, this is why I'm so begrudging against Palace is, is I think last year they got like a last gasp from Zaha who kind of like randomly bucked the trend, put a lot of balls in the back of the net. They got gifted a decent amount of penalties um, as well. And so like, they were always going to be this bad of an attacking team. I And that it just makes me, so hesitant to take the, a team to hang with a good team when they can't score goals. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, they, they also played well today against Brighton. So I guess, I don't know. I'm just going to stick with it. I, uh, whatever. I'm, it's probably going to blow up in my face and Arsenal win like by a thousand, but all right. Well, we're going to take one more break and you'll come back with more great analysis featuring, featuring whatever. I don't know <laughs> on this podcast where we're supposed to be giving you gambling. Advice. I'm an expert. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. 
Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Okay, so we are back and we are strolling away from our beloved Premier League to a appropriate place during March Madness, a knockout tournament, the FA Cup. Uh, we have two matchups that are worth talking about this week. One is Man City versus Burnley. This game is 1.45 p.m. on Saturday. Man City is minus 550. Burnley is plus 1300. The draw is plus 525. Uh, remembering those are 90-minute lines. If you want to take just this as clean as possible to qualify, Man City is minus 1,200. Burnley is plus 575. If you want to still keep going with the adjusted line, Man City is minus uh, a goal and a half is minus 160. Burnley is plus 130. So I'm going to adapt uh, Dave Damashek's no-jive policy. Here is everything I know about Burnley so far this year, Brett. I know they are dominating the championship that they are first and they're up by 13 points. And we'll almost certainly be talking about them next week in the Southampton or Bournemouth spot here in the Premier League. And I know that uh, Ian Matson, a Chelsea loanee, is borderline their player of the season. I'm done. So given my depth of knowledge about Burnley, it should be no surprise whatsoever that there's no line you can set here where I have to, I won't bold City's name. Given their depth, like, the worst squad they could really roll out is like a Grealish, Mares, Alvarez front line. And I will take that against the championship squad every single time. So give me them on the adjusted line at minus 160. But I turn it over to you, our native Burnley expert, to really educate our audience. Yeah, so you actually texted me earlier today when we were prepping for the show. And you're like, can you speak intelligently about Burnley? And for a second, I was like, this feels like a trap because if I say yes, what does it say about my life? <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I think the more inter most interesting thing to talk about Burnley, um, since they are they are leading the championship, they are very very likely to come up. We are actually probably likely to see them in the Premier League. We'll be talking about them next year. Um, is they are in a really interesting mold. So they, obviously, we just talked about Sean Dyche at Everton. And Burnley fired him in part uh, to as kind of like a thing to try to save their season and stay up, but also because they wanted a stylistic change. And I think this is actually like a really interesting conversation that's going to go beyond the bounds of gambling. Well, actually, it will never really leaves the bounds of gambling, but it, it, sort of um, in the sense that like Burnley went to St. Vince, uh, Vincent Company, to, to basically take over the team and play this, you know, Hugo de Posicion type of soccer, you know, attractive, hold on to the ball, which is the complete antithesis of every Sean Dice match that you and I have been forced to watch in our lives. Yeah. Um, and it's great. And it's clearly working. They're dominating the championship. Uh, their underlying numbers also have them as the best team. So it's not like they're getting super lucky or anything. Um, but it, it, it's, it's interesting that they're playing City, right, in this matchup because – this is where the challenge for these teams in. And we've seen this with Scott Parker's Bournemouth. We've seen this with, with Norwich that have come up twice is these teams can play the optimal style of soccer as a favorite in the championship, which is try to possess the ball, be aggressive, press, like try to paint opponents in their final third. 
But then they play teams like City when they get to the Premier League. And we all know what's happened to Norwich in those matches. Um, Right. So like, this is going to be another litmus test for that type of thing. It's like, they're in a weird mode where like to be a great team in the championship, they need to be the city of the championship. But then when they get in the premier league next year, or when they play a city in the FA cup, that is not the optimal style to play against Manchester cities of the world. Right. So this, these teams are in weird spots. So I'm, I'm actually somewhat curious for this FA Cup match. I cannot believe that those words just came out of my my mouth. And not just because I want to see if Josh Brownhill is the next KDB, um, but because of the fact that, like, I think it's always interesting. I think it's a really interesting dynamic with the money the Premier League has and the gap that they have to see these teams try to optimize performance for the championship, then come up and immediately be completely outmanned trying to play a style like that in the Premier League or when they play Premier League teams in a competition like this. So with that said, if you want to get the bets out of the way, I was all over the minus. I will eat the minus 160 to take City at minus one and a half. Um, I'm also going to take the over of three and a half goals was plus, I can't read my handwriting, 130. Um, Because I, I just think that this is just not the way that these teams can compete when they play against teams that have more resources, it's definitely a resource thing. You can have all the stylistic ambitions that you want, but when you have Southampton cast off Nathan Tella as your leading goal scorer, you are not going to out city city in the FA cup. Not happening. Yeah. Well, they've only played one team with resource advantage the entire year and they played United in the league cup and they lost two zero. So I think you make a great point about playing style working in the championship versus when they have to come up and play against, you know, the big boys. And I think Vincent company is a particularly interesting example, right? Because he's more or less auditioning to be Pep's successor at Man City. Uh, he was the captain of Man City. He's a Man City legend. It would be a bit of a Lampard situation if Lampard had had four or five years of managing experience, instead of like one or two. Because I think Pep is going to continue to terrorize the league for at least three more seasons. Um, and so there's going to be a lot to be said. Like, hey, does he move super practical when he comes to the Premier League and he gives up the stylistic play that makes him such an attractive manager candidate for a larger team? Or does he become a little bit more practical in order to keep those guys up? But those are all future questions to have in the near term uh man city win to nil minus 135 man city minus 160 on the goal and a half all the man city bets none of the burnley bets uh, i think this ends with them moving to the semifinals and as i said last week i think they're the odds on favor to win the entire cup you you always have been a jay rodriguez hater so i just i don't <laughs> i mean this is just it just i mean i hope your mentions get flooded with all the jay the jay heads out there well I do want to move um, to the next game and the last game so we can get everybody out of here. But I I guess I kind of have to ask you, what did you make of all the KDB drama this week with Pep coming out and trashing him in the media and then, and then KDB feeling a need to defend himself? Like, what am I missing here? Like Pep is obviously a genius and the best manager of the last decade, if not the century, you know, with Alec Ferguson having something to say about him, maybe a couple of others, but this is now Jao Cancelo that he ran out of town. And now he's turned his cannons on the guy who I'm watching, who I think is the outside of Holland, the best player in the entire league. So like what's going on here, Brett? All right. So Toby, we've talked about deep fakes on the show a lot. We're just going to continue with that theme. You're not going to ever need to deep fake me because I'm going to hit you with a little pep take right now. I think the KDV drama is part of the fact that the king has gone crazy. 
<laughs> um, is he piss mad like on succession that'd be amazing maybe maybe um i i just think that we are seeing a very different and weird pep right now um he's picked fights with a lot of guys we saw a huge exodus of useful city players that could have been related to some of the charges that have been filed against him we obviously aren't going to know the inner workings of some of that stuff um but then Cancelo went from his most used player to playing for byron and now he's picking fights with KDB after playing him in a third round FA Cup match. And then in the Leipzig match, when they're up like seven to nothing, he subs everybody out. But KDB, yeah. <laughs> why? The guy who's played the most soccer, the most important, most talented player probably on that team. And you leave him in in a meaningless Champions League leg all the way to the final whistle as like what? A punishment? I don't like to get his form back. You know how it gets his form back? Give him a month off on a beach in Barbados. Yeah. Like, uh, so it's it's very bizarre what's going on right now. And just on top of that, like his he's switched to that like back three. John Stones is playing as like a holy midfielder because, as we've mentioned, Cancelo is gone, and he found out like, hey, Rico Lewis might not be up to the task when we play really good teams here. So now he's basically just playing four center backs, like he's Tony Pulis at Stoke. Like, uh, it's 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 bizarre what's going on. I am definitely on Team KDB in this fight. I thought it was weird that he brought it up. I thought that it's strange that like, as this like genius manager, he can't just go, oh, that guy's played a lot of soccer. Maybe that's the reason he's not playing well. Is he's tired from all of the soccer that we have been playing. Yeah. And look, we've seen people we've seen, we've, let me rephrase that. We've rarely ever seen players with KDB skill set. Like the guy is a pure artist out there. His vision and passing and creativity is just in the annals of like world soccer history. He's among the people who need to be talked about as like having the best versions of the skills and the people that are somewhat peers to him have aged extraordinarily well, right? Like I know he's mm-hmm. 31, but like, look at what Modric is still doing. Look at what uh Pirlo did late into his thirties. Look at what Zidane did into his mid to late thirties. He's not anywhere near washed. He's been just as good this season from what I can observe than he's been in the last like two or three seasons, which makes him one of the best players in the world. So I don't see it on the pitch. I can't speak to training. I can't speak to off the pitch or anything like that, but I believe he's gone piss mad more than I believe KDB is like faded into some sort of player that should be treated this way publicly by his manager. Yeah, I I'm with the same thing. I, I think there's something weird going on with Pep. I think he is on one basically right now. So uh, we're team KDB here. KDB right. forever. Come on the podcast. Oh my God. I wouldn't even be able to handle a good full Chris Farley show. You did. <laughs> You remember that switch you hit 60 yards on a button last week and landed on his feet and led to a counterattack? That was awesome. <laughs> idiot, idiot. Yeah, that's the whole that'd be the whole interview. All right. Uh head over to the other, other FA Cup, do the five pint and get out of here, Brett. Man United versus Fulham Sunday at 12:30 p.m. Man United is minus 220, Fulham is plus 525, the jaw is plus 340. To qualify, Man United is minus 450. Fulham is plus 300. On the adjusted line, Man United minus a goal and a half is plus 130. Fulham is minus 160. 
So we already talked about it just slightly earlier on the podcast. You mentioned the name, but Casemiro, another straight red, another domestic suspension. It's going to be gone for four games now, including this match. Uh, for any of our fans that listen week to week, you know how I feel about his overall importance to the engine that is Manchester United. So I am on high alert uh, after this suspension. I also think that they won the League Cup and uh, Casemiro can still play in Europa and they do have motivation to really go after Europa unlike Arsenal as their domestic chances kind of fade a little bit particularly in light of the Casemiro suspension they should be trying to win Europa and they should be trying to add that to their trophy case so you put all that together and this is just like a pure value play for me Fulham can be a bit Jekyll and Hyde but honestly so can United and given the range in my head is all the way from three you'll three nil United to two nil Fulham. I'm just going to take the plus side here. And then it's just a matter of what type of plus I'm going to take. So um, given the fact that, you know, if we get into extra time, then you have complete randomness that comes from that and from penalties and it becomes more of a true coin flip. So I'm going to take advantage of it still being a great number and take to qualify Fulham at plus 300. The other one that stood out, like if you think it might go to penalties, you might go to extra time. The draw at plus 340, I think is also fair play, but that's far less exciting to root for when it comes to knockout tournaments. And it's particularly reprehensible to root for it during March Madness. It would be like swerving to run over the Easter bunny uh, on Easter. And I know that's exactly what you're about to do. You're going to take oh, the yeah. I've actually out. already, I've run, over that so, I have, I've run over so many Easter bunnies in my life. So <laughs> we're, we're good. We're hundred percent. I was all over the draw plus three forty. Um, it's going to be interesting because United, obviously the, you know, we have talked a lot about the Europa league hangover. Um, they are uh, what they do tomorrow. Again, we're recording this Wednesday, Wednesday night. Can't even think of how the days go. Wednesday is before Thursday. Um, but yeah, so that we're recording this. Between that and your whatever analysis, I can't believe anybody's still I'm cr- listening. I'm, dude, I'm crushing it today. You need to spend less time on Twitter, Cru- dude. Your brain crushing. is going fried. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's a good lesson for everybody, uh, but especially me. Um, no, but I mean, they, they, well, they're up three goals in the aggregate against Batiste. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what Ten Hag does in this match. Part of me thinks he's going to be like, well, we need to at least start our guys and make sure we don't give this one away. Um, so I, I have a sneaking suspicion that United is going to burn some of their good players, uh, even though they're up three uh, three goals in the aggregate here on the second leg. And so that's part of the reason why I went to the draw. I just, I mean, we saw it against Southampton. They, It's not like they were absolutely crushing it before Casemiro got sent off. They were able to actually hold on, obviously, throughout the entirety of the match, which is, you know, pretty good thing to do. Um, but I'm just, like you said, Fulham's pesky. I don't trust the Ten Hag is going to rotate his guys out. So I think you're going to get a team that's played, you know, a bunch of regular starting 11 guys that are now down one of their most important players that are playing 60 minutes tomorrow, that are playing 90 minutes tomorrow. Um, and so I just think that draw one out of every three times happens. And so you're getting value on that. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I liked was the, I, I didn't really want to do an exact score line to match the draw, uh, but I did think the range of outcomes seemed to be the random 2-0 Fulham win, the 2-0 United win, and then the 1-1 draw. And what do they all have in common? Two exact goals. Um, oh. So the two total goals was plus 275 uh, for the match, and I kind of like that because it covers about three of the five most likely ranges of outcomes, in my opinion. Um, and so I, I Again, I, I've not done well with exact score lines. This time I just went with exact number of goals scored. 
Yeah. Well, I'm going uh, not that far away from you because I'm going both to score yes and minus 115 because I can absolutely see this thing one-to-one. Without Casemiro, they're far more uh, open in the middle and the back, and they might even rotate in Harry Maguire, and then I will double down on this bet. <laughs> um, and so I just like the fact that this is going to be an open match. I think with Mitrovic, Fulham has an ability to score. They obviously would kill to win the FA Cup and, and add a trophy to their case. Yeah. So this is what they're going to prioritize, really go after it. I think United is going to prioritize Euro, uh, Europa, but they're not going to want to throw away their chance in the quarters here entirely. So I think we're going to see an offensive game. I think it could be very fun to watch. And I think both teams end up on the score sheet and you're getting a coin flip versus uh, both to score no. So I like the yes side of that equation. Makes sense to me, man. All right. Well, what doesn't make sense to me, Brett, is how bad you're beating me in the March 5 pints. So you are up by about five and a half heading into our very last week in March because we are off next week due to the international break. So just like any team that is down 1-0 or 2-0 in a knockout tournament, I had to chase a little bit. Yeah, let's go. I can't wait to see this. First couple are with my brain. The last couple are due to circumstances, but I I still like them. Uh, So I'm starting off conservative. Man United, Fulham, both score yes. We just finished talking about that. Minus 115, one pint. Arsenal to win uh, and under 3.5 goals at minus 140 for one pint. But now you're going to hear plus numbers, baby. Chelsea to cover that adjusted line minus the goal and a half plus 130 for a pint Spurs to win and under 2.5 goals plus 305 for one pint. And then Kai Havertz to score twice. Oh yeah. Plus 850 to complete Bring my comeback Kai victory brace. for the final pint. Bring so how me are you the gonna... Kai Havertz brace. There you go. So how are you going to go into the four corners to hold your lead, Brett? Uh, well, I'm going to start off conservatively. I'm going to take the Spurs uh, money line, minus 120. Uh, I'm going to take the over of three and a half goals, City Burnley, for two pints at plus 130. Good team, good thing. City to score lots of goals. Seems like it makes sense. Um, then I'm going to go with the Chelsea Everton, both the score. I'm going to take that at plus 125 for one pint. And then the Arsenal, this is going to, I just want to step on your neck, basically. The Arsenal win from behind, plus 700 for a pint. If that hits, I can just be done. Get little text messages. You lose, LOL. I think I might be the favorite. I think I might be the favorite to win now after that (laughs) rundown. You did not play the conservative line. You were going all out attacking despite the lead. I love it. Uh, All right. So, everybody, I hope that you enjoy March Madness. I hope that you have joined our bracket contest. If uh, you haven't yet, then you're losing out on a chance for Sal to pay your mortgage for an entire year. So, please head over to the arcade and play that now. Um, And if you happen to be anywhere near Vegas, Sal, Mikey Meatballs, and Harry will be at the Jimmy Kimmy Comedy Club for Thursday and Friday for free watch parties. So, please go join them. In the meantime, we will be sitting here watching soccer or basketball and all the other great things that happened in March. And we will be back in April with our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. Take care, everyone. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. 
That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.